are doing a bit different this week international. Instead of the usual, Thomas and I pick two topics and then we take turns talking about them. We are going to be interviewing host of First Generation Podcast and somebody who is from Azerbaijan, Davoud, about the Nagorno-Karabakh conflict. And some other Azerbaijan-related questions. Yes. So, uh, Thomas, did you want to start? So I just wanted to start by asking, what is it like in America being from Azerbaijan? And are you thought as uh, generally as European or Middle Eastern or something else? Um, yes. Hi. Uh, thank you for having me, first of all. Uh, second, well, to answer your question, um, it kind of depends where I am in the United States, because uh, right now I live in Midwest, in Ohio, and people here are not as familiar with uh, the region in general and with people from Azerbaijan. So I often get confused by either people would think I'm Russian or an Arab. So, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting because, I mean, I don't know that many people from that region. Uh, I know someone who is half Iranian at my school. So that's kind of the closest and then we did have a family friend who was from Iran, and he was half Kurdish and half Azeri. So, um, but he was never actually he was never actually an American. He he just visited here a couple times. But yeah, it must be interesting. Like, I mean, people always debate like that area. Like, is the Caucasus Europe, the Middle East, or something else? It's and- yeah, it's very uh, it could be very confusing because I'm actually ethnically like my nationality. I'm Ossetian which is oh, in Russia. Oh, okay. So I'm more uh, uh, like pale than most Azeris are. Okay. So yeah, it's a little more complicated. And then this is actually not a, I, we didn't have this question written down because we didn't know about that. But uh, have you been to South Ossetia or North, North Ossetia for that matter? Yeah, uh, I visited uh, North Ossetia, Vladikavkaz, uh, that I still have family there. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. Um, what was school like in Azerbaijan? Uh, well, I was born actually in 1990, which was still Soviet Union. Oh, but okay. I don't remember anything because a year later it collapsed. Oh. Um, so, well, growing up, I I have good memories, even though it was. Uh, quite difficult you know thinking back now especially after 12 years uh, living in the united states it's uh, it was uh, especially in the 90s and early 2000s when you know the economy and everything was in chaos you know and there was a lot of corruption so yeah, pretty much that would sum it up. But uh, it was it was still a positive experience, and I wouldn't change it. And uh, Azerbaijan, I think most people in the audience would know that it is a majority Muslim country. But I'm assuming that the uh, way that Islam is practiced there is much different than the way it's practiced in places like Pakistan. I'm assuming that I know actually I know for a fact that like they don't have a lot of like laws like mandating hijabs and stuff. But how would you say that Islam ties into Azeri culture and stuff like that? Uh, Well, yeah, like you mentioned, it is uh, 
separate from the government. So even though the majority of the people are uh, considered Muslim, but most of them are, including myself, uh, non-practicing. You know, uh, it is it does still play a big role. Uh, there are mosques, uh, a lot of mosques, and there are people who do practice Islam. But we also have a lot of, uh, we have a really big Jewish community. We have a lot of uh, Russians who are Orthodox and some uh, Catholic people living there. So uh, as far as, it's definitely not like in Iran, which is right uh, on the border, across the border to the south. I would say it's more like even more like what you see in Turkey, not the most recent years, but, you know, like a few years back. So it's more like people practice whatever they want. And uh, relating to that question, uh, Andy, you want to ask the next question? Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, is religion taught in schools in Azerbaijan? Uh, I went to a public school and no, there was no uh, classes on religion. There are some private schools that are, uh, well, it's very similar to what you have here in the States, uh, you know, like how they're Catholic schools. Yeah. Uh, we both go to. I'm not a religious, so I'm not. <laughs> okay. We both actually go to religious schools. So, yeah. But I was honestly curious because I know there are a lot of schools there are a lot of countries in the Middle East where they do teach religion in the public schools. So, um, do you wish? Yeah, we did not. We did not have a religion. So, do you wish that uh, Azerbaijan was closer with America? So now being in America, like as a country, like how the U.S. and Israel are really close, for example. Do you mean like geographically or politically? Politically, like how the U.S. and Israel are very like interconnected and how like in Israel, they have a very strong connection with the U.S. And we have a very strong connection with Israel. Like, do you wish that it was like that with Azerbaijan and the U.S.? I do, but I believe there are good relationships already between the United States and Azerbaijan even though it's really difficult given that we are uh, next to Russia. So Russia plays a huge role in who we make our relationships with. It's interesting because, yeah, I think uh, a lot of people, a lot of people, at least in America, (laughs) they think of, they think of the Caucasus as well as uh, the Stan countries is all just like Russia's backyard. Like, oh, that's just yeah. Russia land. Like, it's all, uh, it's all uh, just like Russia and their buddies. But like, if you learn about it, it's like not all those countries love Russia. A lot of them, a lot of them do, but a lot of them really don't like Russia, and they want to I sort mean, of. And a lot of them are. Oh, go ahead, sorry. And a lot of them want to sort of integrate more with like respective regions. So I think that's uh, interesting. That, uh... And then there's like, uh, like I mean, just looking like at the differences between all the ex-Soviet states. I mean, Estonia. Like, if you go to Estonia, it's to be totally different than if you go to Mongolia. Like, yeah. And then uh, the final question, kind of just about Azerbaijan general, at least for a little bit, is uh, what period in Azeri history do you guys consider the greatest? Um, well, I would say that. People would, most of the people, myself including, would refer to the year of 1980. That's when the first uh, 
democratic, independent Azerbaijan Republic was established, although it didn't last very long until the Soviets came, but it was very promising at the time, and it was very uh, democracy and West-oriented. I know that in uh, I know that during like the 1500s and the 1600s, many Azeris were very influential in Persia. Do you guys have any sort of strong feelings about that period, like 1500, 1600, that kind of time? Yes, uh, we have a lot of good uh, poets uh, from the time and good writers that a lot of Azeris are proud of. Yeah, because like in America, I definitely say that, well, it's a lot different depending on kind of what kind of an American you are. Like if you're a you're African-American, you would absolutely not say this. But for many white Americans, there's this like view of the 1950s as sort of the golden age because social mobility for white Americans was very high. Um, people, there was a lot of, there was very little, well, there was some income inequality, but there was a lot less than there is now and also a lot less than there was in like 1920s. So a lot of people like to romanticize the 1950s as like the perfect American time i mean of course it wasn't there were a lot of issues for the 1950s but that's just kind of how a lot of americans see it at least sort of in my generation um but now i think we're going to move on to nagorno karabakh the nagorno karabakh conflict so uh Andy, um, yeah start? so uh what are your general thoughts on this conflict david well uh I would like to preface this, but, you know, since yesterday, I'm very happy that the war, at least for now, is finished. And even though the Russian peacekeepers and the Turkish peacekeepers are going to be in the region, I'm happy that there's not going to be any more fatalities, unnecessary death. And, well, uh, it's a very complicated issue. And actually, I had a, I'm not a historian and I'm not a politician, but I had a, a political science doctor like a doctorate phd guy come in and give a talk on this from he's actually from northern ireland oh i listened to that okay yeah yeah so he gives a lot of history about it uh but personally the conflict is very complicated and i listened to your a couple of your episodes where you talk about it so uh if you want i can go uh uh, about the the points that you made, if that's okay. Go ahead, definitely yeah, sure. do that. So uh, the first thing that I think you mentioned was the history, you know, and given that the diaspora of the Armenians is so massive in the United States, and yes, correct, yeah. correct me if, if I'm wrong, but the first thing you said, you know, like you hear a lot of pro-Armenian uh agenda in the states if you try to reach out and find the information absolutely i mean yeah you have like the kardashians who are uh robert kardashian was an armenian and you have like armenians protesting in the states you just don't see that with the series because there aren't that many series in the states that's true and any of the groups that would sort of be tied to the aziri side like that would maybe be turkish americans that might be maybe Hungarian Americans, just because I know Hung- Hungarians and Turks have some sort of ancestral ties and stuff. But like those groups aren't that big either compared to the Armenians and um, compared to the Armenians. And then also, I guess this conflict, 
although it probably not as much as it would have been just because of uh, COVID, but it has been taken up by some on, I'd call the parts of the Christian right as like this sort of a religious war, which is really dumb because I don't really see it as much of a war based on religion, but more of a war based on historical and ethnic conflicts. Yeah, I mean, I look at it from a geographic standpoint and it's like, the Nadorno-Karabakh, they practice the Armenian Orthodox Church there, which kind of makes it an odd situation, and they're ethnically Armenian, last I checked. So, I mean, it kind of it's like, do you go with international law, or do you go with the fact that a lot of the Nadorno-Karabakh are Armenians? And I think that's what you have to, kind of what you have to, like, go between. And uh, both of us have debated it, and uh, you've yeah. probably heard our debates. But, uh, yeah, do you want to uh, say any more about sort of our points? Yes, absolutely. So, uh you know, it, the reason why you hear a lot of more from Armenian side is because the Armenians have been migrating to the United States for over 100 years, since 19th century, basically. Uh, while, so they have established communities, they have third generation and longer people living here. And Azeris started migrating into the United States, maybe the 80s, the, late, the earliest. So... It's still very fresh community across the country. And if you look, uh, like you said, there's a lot of celebrities, a lot of politicians that are Armenians in the United States, and they definitely play a part in this. And the diaspora also pushes a very uh, ethnocentric, uh, this view that there was this kingdom of Armenia that you mentioned, that is this and I'm, I'm, I'm biased, obviously, you know, like, but this, this so-called kingdom of Armenia that, you know, goes from the Black Sea to the Caspian Sea and supposedly takes uh, up regions of Turkey and Georgia and Azerbaijan and even parts of Russia and Iran, that, you know, it's very questionable when you go into the history of it, because so much has happened that there is no proof one way or another. But also when you talk about the, when you talk about the uh, international law, and I think you guys had this debate, you can't just go around and say, you know, like the Macedonians had this half of the land until like going into India uh, thousands of years ago. So we should just, if Macedonia had the needs and military power to do so, should just go ahead and murder everybody there and take it over. Yeah. And uh, I mean, to, to sort of talk about your Armenian point, I mean, um, if you go back into Armenian history, I mean, the one, I don't remember his name, but I believe the Armenian, I believe it's just largely like two or three guys who had that really big Armenian kingdom. And for most of like the first and second and third centuries, it was mostly just like a vassal state that was tossed between the Romans and the Persians, just like over and over again. And then... Uh, so it was never like, I mean, and I mean, even if it was like, do the Persians get to claim all of the Middle East because Cyrus the Great had a big empire there? Like, no, that's ridiculous. Like, does, do the Egyptians get to claim, um, Israel and Lebanon? No, like, (laughs) do the Ottomans get to claim, um, heck, Hungary and, Bosnia like no like this idea of like okay pick your empire at the greatest now we get to claim all that territory I think it's kind of strange especially when like I mean 
I'm going to guess that in uh, during the Armenian kingdom, it wasn't all Armenians there. Like, I'm going to guess maybe there weren't Azeris there because I don't know. You would know. Of course, you know more about it than I would. But there are probably like some other groups there. Like there are probably some Greeks there and some Georgians there and some stuff. Absolutely. It's very complicated. And with all the small nations living and being under uh, Persians and then under Russians and Ottoman Empire, it's very complicated. And you can't, uh, there is no proof, basically, you know, anybody can draw whatever map they want. And I, I just, Andy makes a good point uh, saying that currently the living uh, who lives there are Armenians ethnically. But the reason for that is that in early 90s, they used force and they basically, there's a history of Hojali massacre where thousands of people were, uh, hundreds of people were killed. And, you know, we have up to 1 million of displaced, uh, internally displaced refugees from that region. So it's not like, it was pretty uh, 50-50 before that. Yeah, oh, and okay, I, so they took that region by force. That makes sense. Okay, yeah. That and I mean, why there are more Armenians there? I mean, sometimes we'll even hear the argument about like, oh, the Armenians had a genocide. And it's like, yes, they did, and it was terrible, and it's absolutely terrible that 1.5 million Armenians were killed, but they they weren't killed in Nagorno-Karabakh. It was largely in the west, near Turkey. So if Armenians really want to talk about like lands, then maybe go west. I don't know. That's just me though. <laughs> Well, the, you know, going to our previous points, the agenda that the Armenian diaspora in the United States plays, they want to please the community of the Americans who are not aware about the conflict. They want to portray it first as Christians versus Muslims, uh, which, like you said, is very appealing to the uh, some Christians in the United States. And second, you know, everybody heard about the Armenian genocide. So they're going to call it Armenian genocide 2.0 or whatever. Yeah, I mean, there's just like no, there's no equivalence here. Like there's no mass. I I don't see any evidence that like right now they are mass murdering Armenians in Nagorno-Karabakh. Like, I mean, I think we would... I mean, when you look at other genocides, it's obviously pretty clear when that happens, like with the Uyghurs in China. But like right now, like there's pretty much no evidence that that's happening right now. Well, the the Azerbaijan wants nothing to do with Armenia as far as like territory wise, because if you, as you mentioned, when we liberated the territories, they liberated the border with Iran and then they turned north. They didn't. Uh, go into the Armenian territory because we there's no need for that. We just want to have our land back, which is also, like you mentioned, is by international law and uh, for you United Nations resolutions that clearly state that this is the territory belonging to Azerbaijan. So, And then uh, kind of relating to that, uh, do you have any relatives that are currently fighting in the conflict? I have... Uh, distant relatives, and I have a couple of my classmates who were mobilized, but thankfully they're returning. That's good. Where were they fighting? Like, were they fighting more in the south near, like, Jibrail, or were they fighting more near, kind of, Stepanakert, or were they fighting, like, in the north, or where were they fighting exactly? I wouldn't be able to answer that, and I don't think anybody would, because 
our president and our government classifies this information okay. and until tomorrow the internet has been uh regulated heavily so unless you use the vpn you wouldn't be able to uh use the internet basically oh okay and then andy do you want to ask the next question oh yeah uh do you know any armenians uh what are their thoughts on this conflict I know some Armenians, but I've met them in Russia. Oh. And I, I haven't met a lot of Armenians in the United States, but the reaction that I got, at least personally, was quite, uh, I want to say, uh, how do I say, like aggressive? You know, they're not very, I am from the, it, it was the interesting because the people that I met were not even, from Armenia, they were like second or third generation oh, Armenians. Okay. But because, again, that ethnocentric and this, uh, how do I want to say this, uh, idea that they are raised with is just, I, I don't know, it's very angry towards, you know, Turkish people and people of Azerbaijan. This wasn't on our list of questions, but I was just thinking about it, and this would be an interesting question to ask. Another group that it seems has always been kind of intertwined in this. They're not really that intertwined right now. At least I don't think so. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Are the Kurds. Like, I know the Kurds were in Nagorno-Karabakh for a while. They aren't really anymore. But do you know any Kurds? And, like, do you have a strong opinion on what they're doing in Nagorno-Karabakh? I, um, well, I know that there are a lot of uh, Armenians that live in uh, Turkey and they live in Syria, Kurdish Armenians and Lebanon, and they openly joined the conflict uh, by volunteering. So they were Armenians who were living under Kurdish control, and they and they volunteered to uh, join the Armenian military. Yes. Okay. And then, um. I was going to say, okay, I'm, you've kind of covered this, but I guess I'll just ask it uh, again. But uh, what do you think of the recent peace deal made between Armenia and Azerbaijan? Are you satisfied with it? Do you think that Azerbaijan, it was too favorable to Armenia, too favorable to Azerbaijan? Like, what do you think about it? I think that, you know, I think that Pashinyan, the, uh, the prime minister of Armenia, he was doomed from the beginning. and. Yeah. This was by his own acts uh, because, you know, the negotiations have been going for nearly 30 years and there was some progress made. But uh, last couple of two years, he just completely voided the whole negotiations by, you know, going into the region and saying that this territory is Armenia. So what are the negotiations about then? Uh, but he was doomed either way because the Armenians did not expect that the Azerbaijan has such strong military now compared to the 90s. It's much more organized. There's a lot more money influx into it. There's a modern weaponry. So uh, Pashinyan either had to continue and to commit his own genocide of his own people, given that thousands of Armenians have died, or he had to capitulate, with, which he has done, and then make people in Armenia unhappy, which we see now that there's protests in Yerevan, and who knows how long and if he will last at all. Yeah, and I think it's interesting you were talking about like peace processes, but then someone coming along and uh, 
sort of throwing a wrench into all that. Um, kind of reminds me of a certain other leader in the Middle East, uh, Bibi Benjamin Netanyahu. He seems mm-hmm. kind of seems kind of similar to his situation where there were a lot of progress. There was a lot of progress made between, uh, and I'm not doing a direct comparison of Israelis to Armenians, but uh, he like um, like his predecessors, like uh, what's that guy's name, Yitzhak Rabin, were like mm-hmm. very interested in making peace with the Palestinians, and then he comes along and he's just like, I don't know about all this peace. Like, I don't know. Maybe we should just annex a bunch of the West Bank, and uh, <laughs> I mean. Uh, our president, uh, well, our outgoing president, President Trump, he seemed to have been very supportive of Netanyahu in doing this. He had his deal of the century where it's basically just like Israel gets con- full control of the Jordan River, which I mean, if you have a if you want a Palestinian state and your and your Palestinian state is going to rely on Israel for water, then it's like that's a very shaky situation. So there's, I definitely see some uh, comparisons there between them which is actually interesting because i think israel is actually helping the azerbaijan but i don't know uh we have really close ties with israel you know like i mentioned we have a big community in azerbaijan jewish uh, mountain jews georgian jews living uh but also we have a lot of migrants from azerbaijan in israel Hmm. but uh also you know about the peace treaty that was signed a couple days ago I, a lot of people are very skeptical, you know, when you have Russia involved, uh, what kind of peacekeepers are Russians? <laughs> Everybody, yeah. everybody's well aware, but um, I'm more on optimistic uh, side. You know, first of all, I think it's, uh, it can really improve the relationship between Russia and Turkey because they will collaborate in the process. And uh it, will, it should improve the relationship between Azerbaijan and Armenia because they will be, as my understanding, and this process is changing, uh, but my understanding is that uh, they, our refugees will be living side by side with Armenians with the peacekeepers in place. And this is kind of going back to that Good Friday agreement. So some, there is already a model of something like that working. Yeah, Northern Ireland, right? Yeah. And then, um, so, uh, so you, I'm kind of adding, I'm kind of mixing in another question with this, okay. but, uh, so do you think that like the best thing for the Armenians to do would be to continue to live in Nagorno-Karabakh and then it be under, um, the control of Azerbaijan, but with like some autonomy, would that be the best situation in your opinion? And they would live with the, uh, Azeris who were forced out during the, Nagorno-Karabakh war in the 90s? Is that the ideal situation in your opinion? Yes, in my opinion, uh, these will be people who will be Azerbaijanis and ethnically Armenians, but they will be our citizens and Mm -hmm. they will get the privileges that our citizens get. And, you know, uh, economically and for many reasons, Azerbaijan is doing much better than Armenia I, I would assume uh, it's going to be really, really difficult in the beginning, especially right after, you know, one month of a bloody war, but it can be done. You know, if you look yeah. back in the history, uh, Germans and French and English people are all joking about the wars they had. So, yeah, exactly. I mean, heck, uh, heck, I mean, yeah, English and French, they got into so many wars, but uh, they get along great now. Or, and uh 
Well, yeah. Unless you're talking about sports, but yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you're about sports, um, but yeah. Yeah. Um, and then if Armenians were going to come back, do you uh, wish that uh, Armenians would like speak Azeri as a first language or do you, are you fine with them speaking Armenian as a first language and speaking Azeri as a second language? Or what do you think like in terms of like integration, like how should Azeris treat them? Well, as an immigrant myself, you know, I believe that people living in another country should assimilate to that country. And I think the primary language should definitely be our Azerbaijani language. Mm -hmm. But we have schools, uh, we have 150 schools that are taught in Russian. And I attended one of them. And we have schools in Turkish. But what needs to happen is this will be Azerbaijani people and their children will be Azerbaijani citizens they will be representing our country and there, there should not be any more of this uh, thrive to annex the territories for this magical kingdom to reappear that kind of idea should be gone in my opinion yeah I guess what I'm saying more is like would you support something like, for example, Nagorno-Karabakh, where you have a school where it's bilingual? So, for example, you'd have Armenian and Azeri taught there. Um, it would, and they would grow up. They would have sort of their, they would they would still like have a sort of an ethnic identity. Like they'd be ethnically Armenian. They may like celebrate ethnic Armenian customs, but like they would be legally Azeri and they would like be Azeri citizens and they would like take pride in the country of Azerbaijan. Almost like, for example, how you have um, um, how you have like Spanish speaking schools uh, in parts of the southwest in like very, very Hispanic areas where it's like they still are like a lot of them take pride in like being Americans and stuff. And they're like proud to be Americans, but they still like speak Spanish and they and uh, they will still celebrate like some Hispanic Uh, customs. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Absolutely. You know, uh, I don't think that should be a problem at all. Yeah. Yeah. And Um, I mean, a lot of people, I feel like a lot of people blow this stuff out of proportion too. Like, for example, like in Germany, like even Germany and Poland, like in the, like Germany and Poland was like definitely, uh, they're viewed as like two enemies. But like in the 1910s and 1920s, I know this because like I had like, like my great, great grandparents lived right on the border between Germany and uh, Russian Poland, I guess. But like there were Poles in the family, there were Germans in the family, they were intermarrying and like everyone got along. So I feel like a lot of just, a lot of this is just like polarized nationalism in a sense. Yeah. I mean, this happens like this is, I found this to be a lot more common than you think, than like people think, because like a lot of people don't know that like Singapore, I think they are, or no, I'm not going to use Singapore. Like, like, or I'm going to use the Ivory Coast, because that's, that's something we've talked about on our podcast a lot. And so, like, in the Ivory Coast, like, there are only 10,000 French people there, but yet French is their official language, even though the largest ethnic group, the Akans, are, um, they have three official languages, actually, which are English, French, and Akan. And then this also happens a little bit in Algeria, where you have a lot of Berbers, but like all of Algerian media is in French. Yeah, I think, um, you know, there can be, 
this is very down the line, you know, going into probably tens of years from now on, but I don't see a problem with them any as any other minority living in Azerbaijan having their own culture and speaking their language and having their holidays. And then, uh, wait, Andy, do you want to ask the question about Turkey? Oh, yeah. Um, What do you think of Turkey's role in the conflict? Uh, Do you want the U.S. to be more involved? As a soon-to-be American, as much as I love this country, I do not want the United States to be involved. I think the United States' interest is highly to be continuing ally of the Turkey because in the region, the only ally they have is Turkey. And, you know, who else would be their ally? It's definitely not going to be Iran. So uh, I think that uh, that relationship, not just politically, is very important to the United States. But uh, what kind of involvement do you think? Uh, The United States have been involved in the in this past 28 years or 27 years, you know, but there hasn't been any progress. Yeah. Yeah, And I'm happy that we're not like militarily involved. Like I'm happy that we don't have like boots on the ground there. And I mean, look, you know, this would have probably polarized the country based on like which side to be on. Like, again, you'd have Christian kind of your Christian conservatives saying like, be on the Armenian side. They're Christian. This is a holy war. This is the new crusade, or they'd say something weird like that. Yeah, yeah. And then you'd have more people, probably like me, who are like, well, one side is clearly violating international law here, and it's the Armenians. So I don't think we should be supporting the Armenians in this conflict. Yeah. So it would definitely, I mean, it would definitely split up the country on even which side to be on. Like, I mean, in the case of like Iraq, I think we all agreed that like Saddam Hussein was a bad guy. We just disagreed on like, should we go in there and like take out his regime? Some some people said yes, we should. More people said no, we shouldn't. But yeah. So I'm happy that we're not really involved too. Yeah. And then just some other questions. Uh, Andy, do you want to? start off with some other just like random questions about like Azerbaijan stuff. Oh, um, what do you think of uh, Ilham Aliyev, the current president of Azerbaijan? Well, um, he, his father was the president since uh, early nineties. And at the time his father, he, what a lot of Azeris, including myself, believe, that he rescued our nation from this war because at the time we were very disorganized and the Armenians were continuing taking more and more lands. So he made that peace deal. His son, um, I want to say that he's a strong leader and he's a leader for a reason because there is no opposition in Azerbaijan. And for many years, there hasn't been any uh, what I want to say, any even uh, the the any opposition is very weak. So, as much as there is uh, there are problems in the government and there is still corruption, uh, I believe that he is the strong leader. And especially now, uh, even there if there is opposition in Azerbaijan, everybody is in full support because this issue of Nagorno Karabakh is there's only one. Uh, 
one view that all Azerbaijanis have. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think it's interesting you mentioned that because like that something like that would never happen in the U.S. Where it's like, heck, if we went to, if I don't know, I'm trying to think of a, if we went to war with Iran, you would have you would have the majority of people saying probably something along the lines of, I support our troops. This is a dumb war. I don't know why we did that. You'd have a, and then you'd have two small minorities. You'd probably have people saying, heck yeah, we should have gone to Iran. And let's say they did it for no apparent reason. Let's say like uh, the U.S. government just like made something up and went in. Like you'd have some people saying, oh yeah, I support going into Iran and kicking out the Ayatollah and putting in democracy there. But then you'd also have another group of people who would openly say like, oh yeah, I support Iran and I hope that we lose this war. So I think it's interesting, like, how everyone is unified in Azerbaijan, like, something like that. It's just, like, America's so polarized, and also, like, our interests are so scrambled that nothing like that would ever happen where you'd have, hey, if you had a second civil war, which people love to joke about here, but it's not going to happen, you would have a lot of people, like, uh, even if, like, if, let's say it's between, like, I don't know, the coastal states and the... um and the inland states or something like that. You'd have like a lot of people in the inland states openly supporting the coastal states. And you had a lot of people in the coastal states openly supporting the inland states. So I think it's interesting that like um, such a big issue there. And then it kind of seems like you answered this, but it seems like the reason that Ilham Aliyev doesn't have opposition is just because no one wants to oppose him. It's It's not because like, it's not because like he doesn't allow people to oppose him, right? Am I right about that? Well, I never was interested, well, actively involved in the politics because I left the country when I just turned 18. But I I want to say that there is there were some sparks of opposition, especially inspired by the neighboring countries. But it's just proven that in difficult times that this opposition had nothing to offer and it didn't gain that momentum that it did in other countries because our economy is doing really well. You know, like you can see how the city and the regions have changed to positive from nineties to now. Like every time I travel home, I can't recognize how much better the places look, but there are still some, a lot of major problems, of course, mm-hmm. about the quality and corruption. Do you think after the war's over and after uh, Aliyev eventually either dies or steps down or just retires or something like that? Because, I mean, he probably won't be in there for like 40 years. Do you think that uh, there will be like different oppositions or do you think it's going to continue to be like more of one guy is sort of the leader and there's not really much opposition around him? What's your thought on that? Uh, my thought is that, you know, no, all of these uh, politician regimes have not been able to sustain uh, too long of a history. You know, it changes one way or another. And I would, uh, I would hope that it changes uh, in a, I don't want to say in a long period of time, you know, like dr- not in a dramatic revolution or anything like that, which I don't see happening. And I just, uh, it already is improving in a lot of aspects 
of the quality of life. And I just think eventually people will come to that uh, democracy. Yeah. But it's just, it's a young country and there's a lot of corruption coming from the Soviet times. You know, we inherited that and just, it's a tough uh, geopolitically. You have to be good with Russia and Iran and you have to, you you also want to be pro-Western in a sense, but you know you don't want to upset the Russians too much. So it's really it's, it's tough to predict what's going to happen. Speaking of uh, Russia, Andy and I picked out five countries, uh, yeah. and to ask uh, how you view them, and then also just like how uh, Azerbaijanis view them in general, which I know will be a bit different. I'm assuming, I'm assuming that you probably have a couple different views about these countries than like some other random Azerbaijani, but uh, we'll start with Russia. Like, how do you view Russia? How do the Azerbaijani people view Russia? Azerbaijani people, myself including, mostly are skeptical of Russia because in, in the early 90s, basically Russians wanted to build a military base in Azerbaijan and our government refused that. So they did that in Armenia and, you know, what happened afterwards, they were supplying Armenians with military personnel and weapons and everything like that. So that's one of the major reasons why the Armenians succeeded in the 90s. But, uh, and especially now, a lot of people are still skeptical because, you know, what kind of a peacekeeper Russians are if they have this history with us. Yeah, and I know that uh, another... And actually, I'm, I'm curious. I know that, um, I don't remember what the plane was called, but I know that the as, uh, Azerbaijan accidentally shot down one of the Russian planes, I believe. Is that correct? Yeah, the helicopter. The helicopter. Yeah. Um, do you think that that was another reason behind uh, this peace deal? Like, do you think there was, a, there was some sort of a partial fear in the mind of Aliyev that like, oh no, could the Russians retaliate? Or is that just like totally unrelated? I think that the Putin probably thought, you know, this makes us look bad, like we have no control in the region. And he probably definitely pushed for some sort of resolution. But also, you know, Armenians have lost that friendship they had with Russians, uh, particularly because of Pashinyan and his anti-Russian policies. Who does Sorry. No, go ahead. Oh, I was going to ask, like, who does Pashinyan support america yes he's much more west oriented and russians just could not have that in the region Hmm. andy was wondering if this is like not a good question to ask but are you a citizen yet i am not but i'm in the process could i ask a question about america andy was wondering if that would be a good question to ask for someone who's (laughs) becoming a citizen yeah i mean uh go ahead i think it should be fine okay it's just how do you view america and how do how does azerbaijan view america or the azerbaijani people you know um we have only recently our tourism has been evolving and i think it's only started to become more pro-west oriented but it's more towards the europeans unfortunately that the, a lot of Americans do not know about Azerbaijan. Uh, they don't even know the name of the country. And a lot of times people ask me, what, what is that? Where is that? But people in Azerbaijan, uh, 
I want to say it's more positive than towards the Russians until just recently because of the Armenian diaspora having such massive influence in the United States. And you see a lot of uh, representatives in the States supporting Armenian side, portraying this, uh, playing this, you know, genocide and Christians versus Muslims agenda. Yeah, which is funny because we'll get to uh we'll get to a country in a bit which kind of debunks that whole narrative. But uh before we get to that country, I'll ask you about uh, Turkey. Um what how do you guys view Turkey and how do you view Turkey uh personally? I know that Azeris and Turks are is it would it be wrong to say that they're very similar culturally? No, they absolutely are. Uh, we can, I can actually speak some Turkish. It's very similar to Azeri language. Um, very close relationships. We don't need visas. We travel back and forth a lot. I went on vacation to Turkey uh, about 10 times with my family. And it just goes back to the Ottoman Empire times, really. I know the Ottoman Empire was never, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think the Ottoman Empire was in Azerbaijan. Is that wrong? Were they in Azerbaijan? <laughs> I think they were. I'm not sure, honestly. Okay. I don't want to. Yeah. But do they do? Uh, so do Azeris like have a strong opinion of the Ottoman Empire? Like a strong favorable opinion of them? They are very supportive of uh, Atatürk. Mm-hmm. You know the the Turkish leader of the 20th century. And uh, I don't know about particularly about the Ottoman Empire, you know, it's just part of the history and people just view Turkey as positive as uh, some people even call it, you know, two nation, uh, one nation, two countries. Um, Do they view Erdogan positively or do they not really like Erdogan? Um, More modern people, which is, I don't want to say modern because I don't want to say people who are religious are not, but it's like people who are more pro-democracy do not because he has been pushing some, some uh, taking back to the times where it was like more religious influence on policies. Of course he did that. I think, didn't he, I could be wrong, but then he, of course he did that who I think that's how Erdogan came to power. I could be wrong on that. It was way before my time, but uh, yeah. He did what? I'm sorry. Didn't uh, didn't Erdogan come to power via a military coup? I don't think so. There was an attempt of the coup while he was in power. Oh, okay. That's what I'm thinking of. Sorry, my bad. Yeah, no problem. Uh, kind of interestingly, sort of the opposite of Turkey. How do you guys view Iran? I know there are a lot of Azerbaijanis in the northern area of Iran. That's how my dad, I believe, uh, my dad's uh, family friend who was talking about earlier, who's half Kurdish, half uh, Azeri. I believe he's from northern Iran. That would make sense. Um, but how do they view Iran in general? How do you view Iran? I want to say it's very skeptical, just like with Russia. Um, although, you know, the, there's about 20 million Azerbaijanis, ethnical Azerbaijanis living in Iran. And during the war, who came to the border to support our troops while they were uh, liberating the land. 
there, there's videos of people across the the the, the bridge, the Hudafirin uh, bridge, who are they're cheering our soldiers. So it's like it's weird because we support them, but at the same time, the Iran's government has been very dodgy in relations to Azerbaijan. Yeah, and I'm assuming any ties with Iran would definitely, um, like any sort of perceived support of Iran, would definitely sort of put a barrier on relations between uh, you guys, the um, the Azeri people, and then uh, America. Just because, uh, just because I know a lot of Americans absolutely despise Iran, probably more than any other country. Um, China's starting to get up there, but uh, like there's just like a, there's a vast hatred of anything Iran in America, and like the idea of like making any sort of a deal with Iran is frowned upon, even if it's like could benefit all parties involved. Like just like the fact that there could be a deal, like the Iran deal, like uh, Trump, oh, Obama made that deal, and then Trump just said no, and it wasn't really clear why he said no, but he just said no. Like he's, he just didn't want to do that deal. And uh, I think, I think it's uh, like you know I mentioned earlier, it's a very tough position because it's a small Azerbaijan is a small country, and we have to be friends with Russia, Iran, and the United States. Yeah. And then actually the final country we want to ask about is uh, Georgia and Georgia. I mean, looking into Georgia and I, I learned a lot from uh, listening to your uh, podcast episode with that uh, guy from Northern Ireland. And mm-hmm. he, I mean, if I, if, if this is correct, it seemed like what he was saying is that uh, Georgians are actually closer with Azerbaijan than they are with Armenia. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, they are definitely uh, friendlier with Armenians than us, but us with Armenians, I mean, but they are a lot closer to us than they are to Armenians. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, that kind of destroys the whole religious war narrative among some yeah. here in the US. Like, yeah. if it was a religious war, then it would be Georgia probably involved too. But it's not a religious war absolutely that that uh, you know the genocide and the religion war and all that uh, doesn't withstand any kind of criticism if you do any kind of research even just a little bit yeah and then uh um, yeah i'm i'm assuming that the another thing that probably makes this uh conflict interesting is uh the fact that uh georgia's having its own sort of situation with uh, Abkhazia and uh, South Ossetia. So is that another reason why Georgia may be sympathetic to the uh, Azerbaijani cause? Is it the fact that they have to deal with their own separatists? I believe so. And Ukraine also was very supportive, you know, with the recent annexation of Crimea. Mm -hmm. And then, Uh, uh, Andy, do you want to ask your two final questions? Yeah, well... Here in the U.S., we you've probably heard them in Azerbaijan and here. Um, we have a lot of, like, stereotypes of us, like, such as we're known for having, like, a lot of McDonald's. Are there <laughs> any uh, stereotypes of um, Aziris that are kind of re- uh, relevant? 
I you mean in the in the United States about the Azeris? Uh, Just worldwide in general. Yeah, worldwide. Worldwide. Uh, I think we're not that well known to have any stereotypes okay. just in general but i think it would be the similar stereotype of any caucasian person you know from caucasus oh yeah mm-hmm. which okay. is interesting because there aren't that because there aren't that many stereotypes about people from the caucasus other than <laughs> yeah it's something it's, something it, russia it, it would be something like habib you know like habib so here's kind of a random question this is not on our questions list but uh I know that uh, the issue of Borat has been very uh, controversial in Kazakhstan. If there was going to be an Azerbaijani version of Borat, would you support that so that uh, the country got more sort of global recognition? Or would you see that as more of a mockery of uh, Azerbaijan? I would be honest. uh, I would be mostly neutral to it, but I don't know. Like, I would rather people not know about Azerbaijan than know it by Kim Kardashian or Borat, you know, it's not the necessarily the most positive representation. So. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of countries who I feel like they wish they could be known for something else. Like, uh, I mean, like Poland, how Poland's known as the country that gets constantly invaded over and over again. Or uh, how... Um, or uh, Belgium on our podcast, we talked about how Belgium is like constantly like I mean, they're 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 kind of like split in two, if you know what I mean, or four even. Yeah. But uh, yeah. So, and then the final question is, Andy, do you want to ask the final question? Oh yeah. Uh, have you ever been to Notchavan? If so, what is it like? I have not, but uh, my friends and my family have been. It's uh, it's no different from any other like region. You can fly into there. You have to fly. Uh, kind of weird angle so you don't fly over Armenia so I didn't hear anything crazy about it you know and then uh can you drive there like is there sort of an international highway you can take between Nakhchivan and Azerbaijan proper or well no, I'm actually... you couldn't but uh, after this peace treaty there will be oh yeah that's a good point because uh the, I, I didn't think about that till now. Nagorno Karabakh is blocking. I mean, of course, you have Armenia with this little strip of land that separates yeah. uh, Nakhchivan and Azerbaijan, but you also have Nagorno Karabakh sort of there too. So, with yeah, hopefully, that, uh, hopefully, it'll be easier for people in Nakhchivan and people in the rest of Azerbaijan to be able to um, uh, transfer between each country and i guess uh these are all the questions we plan to ask Uh, do you have any other comments you want to make or uh, if you want to ask us some questions about any of this uh um well i don't i don't think i have any questions for you guys but i just uh i appreciate that you guys uh had me today and i certainly um i am again once again i'm happy that the war is over and i have a very optimistic maybe not even realistic outlook but i'm hoping that the whole south caucasus can live in peace finally yeah then we can just all start working on the north caucasus <laughs> yeah okay so um did you want to uh wrap this up thomas or should we sure well i can do our social media stuff um thanks for listening to this podcast uh 
Davood. Oh, uh, okay. He he has a podcast. Uh, it's called First Generation, right? Yeah. And, oh, and it's uh, on um, Spotify, right? It is on Spotify. It is uh, not necessarily polit- political, uh, but it's about the being an, a first-generation American, an immigrant who comes into the United States and different stories from people with different visa types and different immigration statuses. Sounds cool. I have listened to a couple episodes. It's very good. Thank you. Um, yes, it is. I, I listened to a little bit as well. And uh, uh, you can find us, This Week International, on Anchor. You can find us on Breaker. You can find us on Spotify, Radio Public, Pocket Casts, um, Google Podcasts. I've said our RSS feed like a million times. Yeah. So if and, you uh, need, if you want to know that, just like go back and listen to the end of another episode. I don't really yeah. want to pull that up right now. Say with our uh, our Instagram is at twy one two four four. I'm not sure if I brought this up before, but I actually did open up our subreddit. It's r r slash this week international, which is uh, how we found uh, Mr. Selikov through yeah, the yeah. subreddit. Um, so definitely go check that out. And we are at VK. We haven't been really doing much on there, but Andy wanted to get on VK. But uh, yeah, oh, I've you been have communicating yeah. with a few of our fans. Well, yeah. Anyways, um, so uh, thanks again, uh, Mr. Salikov, for coming on, and um, we will talk to you later, Internet or wherever you're listening. Thank you.